Welcome to Salem First Assembly Podcast. May this week's message by our guest speaker be a blessing to your life and helping you to grow in your understanding of God's Word, strengthen your faith, and equip you to become all that God has created you to be. such a joy it is such a joy to be with you so i'm hannah obviously and this is matt and we do come to you from texas but my roots are from new jersey so that's why we're here my grandparents were missionaries from england to this area Um, and so they planted churches in brooklyn and in new jersey and then my mom moved us to texas when i was um, younger so i grew up there Um, and matt and i both we grew up in wonderful churches but we went to university with no desire to walk with jesus and when we got on the university we had our plans our vision for our future and god met us on the university through chi alpha ministries and so we had our ideas and then students met us and we gave our lives to jesus and um, our first yes to jesus was on that university he said would you lay down your plans for your future and would you give your life to seeing people come to know jesus and so we said yes and after we graduated we have been working with chi alpha down in texas for the last 12 years seeing students come to know jesus reconciling the university god is doing amazing things on the university um, and seeing the workplace and the world changed and so we've spent the last 12 years sending students um, as missionaries and um, you saw that we have three children we have peter we have charlotte and sophia and so god entrusted them to us and we believe that he's also calling them with us and so our second yes to god um, just just last year, he, he said, would you go yourselves? So you've been sending students now, would you go? And we said yes to God. So Matt's going to continue to share what the Lord's been doing in our life, but we're so thankful for this opportunity to be here. Awesome. Thank you, Hannah. And my, uh, my third yes was to say yes to Hannah, would you marry me? And her third yes was saying yes to me. So I like that one too. And uh, so she is six foot. She says she's 5'11", but her and her mom and grandma are always praying for a tall man. So whenever we're in a fight, I always remind her, I'm the answer to your prayers. So you better be grateful (laughs) right now. But they did pray for a tall man, so I'm like, hey, God's got plans for us. You know, it's incredible. We love it. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. And we just feel honored to be in your state. This is my first time in New Jersey, if you can believe that. And it won't be our last time. We, we love meeting the people here. And just the assemblies in New Jersey, there's missions minded. We've been real well received and taken care of. So we thank you. We bless you for that. Y'all put in the mission of God first. And we love to see that. Like Hannah said, there's our kids right there. They are, we asked, also we've been praying for God to prepare us for ministry. And then we kept having kids and not necessarily planned children, all surprises, except for Sophia. But God's just preparing us, you know, and stretching us, and we love that. So this is part of his plan. It is. And uh, I'm going to get into the word a little bit, if that's all right, for church this morning. I know you all revere the Bible here. But so our second yes was serving God on the college campus. And then the Lord gave us something we hadn't necessarily asked for, but he gave us a challenge. He gave us a dream and a vision. And he spoke to us, said, Matt and Hannah, do you believe the Muslim world can be saved in your lifetime? So our lifetime, not some of your lifetimes, but ours. And we said, oh, Lord, we hope so. And we've been chewing on that. But now we're at the point where we know that God wants to do it. 
and we know that he will do it, and we're waiting to see because reading scripture, reading some of the stories of revival, it just comes like the wind, and when it comes, it comes, and it blows, and we're, we're trusting that it's not too big for God to move in two billion Muslims' hearts across the world in the next 50 years, and that's what we're living for. That's what we want to die doing is seeing the Muslim world come to Christ, specifically in the North Africa region, which will affect the rest of the Muslim world. So that's where we're planted, and you can put that, that map up there, that picture of North Africa. So if you can see that, this is the dream God gave us to see church planting teams and the church raised in these countries of, it's called the Arab world, where all the Arab Muslims live, and there's been minimal gospel witness for the last 1,400 years in every one of these countries. And we've got to visit 10 or, 10 or 11, 12 times over the past 10 years and just get a taste of cross-cultural ministry. What would it look like to plant the church here among these people? And you know what we found out? It's actually easier to tell Muslims about Jesus than it is to grab a college student in America and tell them about Jesus. That's what we found out. People see that we're big and white, obviously from America, and they come up to us asking us, hey, so tell me about Jesus. Tell me what you believe. Tell me about Christianity. Because they're hungry to know. There's a hunger there. And we've seen that. And it's, it's been growing. And God's been at work, even though the church hasn't been at work. God has still been at work in this region, waiting for us to come, waiting for people to respond to the call and to pray and to give and to go. So we feel like we have the job of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus, where God is calling us to this dead, stinky, and the King James says, the tomb of Lazarus, it, it stinketh, don't go in there. He's calling us to this dead church, and with the authority of Christ in us, the Holy Spirit in us, we want to say, North African church, rise up from the dead. It's time to worship the Lord, because he made you, and he's ready for you, and he, he deserves your obedience. And we, we want to see that, and with your prayers, we will see that. And if some of y'all are alive the next 50 years, I hope that we see that together. And if not, you can see it from glory in heaven with Jesus. So that's our, that's our mission. Salvation to the Muslim world, that's it. No, no secret sauce. We're just doing it the biblical way, the book of Acts way, just building small groups and discipleship. And uh, we'll be on the street meeting people, gathering Muslims in our home, as many as we can lure in with the gospel and with treats. And Hannah will be cooking up a storm. So we want to bring them into our house, teach them about Jesus. That's the short and sweet of it. So that's our dream right there. That sums it up. Our dream, North Africa, Muslim world, change forever for Jesus. That's the dream God has given us. We're inviting you to be a part of that. But we know, like Pastor said, not everyone is called to go. Some of you will never see these countries, and that doesn't mean you're being disobedient. That means God has a dream specifically for you that he's planted in your heart. Maybe he hasn't told you it yet. Maybe he's waiting for you to get a little closer to him so he can share that with you. Or maybe he's training you up for that dream. But what is that dream God has planted in your heart? What is that dream? Is it a dream for Salem? Is it a dream for New Jersey? Is it a dream to see the next generation in America rise up and, and be faithful to God and stop running from the Lord? What is the dream God has given you? And I think Mike Brown last, last week talked about uh, Luke 15, if that's right, and talked about how the lost coin, we get transformed, and talks about how we're the broom. Is that right? Am I tracking right? So how do you go from a lost coin to being the broom, being an instrument in God's hands? And how do we go from seeing a dream God's given us to become reality? How can we do that? And Hannah, I'll ask you to help me. You can pass out those seeds underneath you, Pastor, actually. There's a, there's a bag of snacks there. You want us to go dump a handful in each person's hand? Would you mind? It's a little snack in case I go a little long, and then y'all can munch on these, these little things. So 
I just like having something physical in the hand, something tactile. You know, you can save. The, this is a gift for you. This is a gift for you. So how is God going to bring dreams about? We have a job to do. How are we going to do it? And to figure this out, there's a great person in Scripture named Jesus, and he lived a, a perfect life, and he's our example to follow. I'm so grateful for his example. It teaches me a lot. So we're going to look at the life of Jesus. How is he going to accomplish this? And we could ask, how did Jesus accomplish his messianic mission while he was on earth? He accomplished it in 33 years. I just turned 30. I'm planning for it to be a great year. Jesus had a great year at 30, so I'm waiting to see what would happen. But Jesus and God, he uses a seed. He uses a seed. This is how he accomplishes things. And actually, I need it. You want to throw me a seed, Pastor? Here, I'll catch it. Okay, that worked too. So it's going to use a seed. So I like having this in my hand to remind myself this is how God is going to do what he's planned to do. Because God has designed the seed. There's so much potential in here. Now, this is just a, a sunflower, but they grow pretty tall. Y'all have sunflowers grow around here? I don't know. I saw I got a bunch of corn out there and everything. So everything designed is inside. This is designed to have potential and to bear fruit. That's the way God designed it. And if you turn to Romans chapter 1, if you have your Bibles here, I hope, Romans chapter 1. And maybe I should just read the book of Romans straight through because that will preach all on its own. But we'll just focus on Romans chapter 1 here shortly, starting in verse 18. So we'll see that there. So this is about nature. It's about the design of nature. Starting in verse 18, Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Does that sound about right for America right now? Verse 19, since what, be, what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. This is a verse. This is a, this is a verse in scripture carries so much implication. But essentially, the scripture is saying nature reveals the essence of God. It reveals the holiness of God. It reveals the eternal nature of God and the sovereignty of God. And just nature by itself. So you think about the tribal family in the middle of the jungle where they've never met a missionary. They've never met a Christian. How could God still send them to hell if they've never even heard? This verse seems to answer that question. We all are without excuse. No matter if you've been in church one minute or 30 million years, we all are without excuse because nature shows that God is good and that he is real, and it testifies about Jesus. So nature has a, a clear purpose from marriage, man and women, to a bunch of other things. Creation has a clear purpose, and this seed has a clear purpose. And its designation, what this was designed for was it was designed to actually die. That is why this seed has been made. It's designed to die. It must plant itself in the ground, sacrifice itself, sacrifice its shape, sacrifice its appearance so that it can bear much fruit. And it's a growth process, and if the seed submits to that process, it will not be the same. It, will never be, it can never be the same again once it starts that growth process, and it has to die. And does death sound comfortable? No, not a comfortable process. But this is what the Lord has called us to. Amen? 
Anyone happy about that this morning? That God has called us to die. And if we don't, then we remain alone. We remain alone. Scripture says very clearly, and I'm grateful to God most of the time that the comfortable life is not what God has called us to. He has not called us to that. It's not what he's designed for us. He's designed us and you to multiply, to break out of that shell and bear fruit a hundred, a million fold. That's what he wants out of us. And we see Jesus do this. So to put it simply, the key to a fruitful life is death. And it's kind of a, a par- it's kind of interesting, isn't it? The key to a fruitful life is death. And I think it's safe to say, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's safe to say that Jesus was the most fruitful man that's ever lived. I don't know if you know someone like an uncle you have or something, but I think Jesus was the most fruitful man that has ever walked the earth and ever will. And this is what he says. You can turn to John chapter 12. These are the words of Jesus, which we can think about this morning. John chapter 12, verse 23. This is the eve of his crucifixion, and this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will will honor. In verse 27, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Love, love this verse, love this dialogue with Jesus. I love that we see his inner thoughts, like, should I pray that God saves me? He's like, no, this is what I was designed to do. I was destined for this purpose, and Jesus gives us this example to follow. And he shows us that we must live what's called the crucified life. If you've heard, that's kind of an older term these days, but he's called us to the crucified life. And then he, he affirmed it by actually dying on the cross to be a big symbol for everyone. This is what we're supposed to do. Crucifixion is what we are called for. And unless the seed of our life falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if that happens, if we submit to that process, we bear much fruit. So seeds are designed to die. Jesus was designed to die. Can our end be any different? Can what Jesus has planned for our life be any different than what he planned for the life of Jesus? He is our master. And he says, if you want to serve me, you have to follow me. And he said that on the eve of his crucifixion, he was going to the cross and his disciples were like, Jesus, don't do it. He's like, no, if you're going to serve me, you have to follow me. And, And most of them did in death for the Lord. So why don't we do this? We kind of see in scripture, we see Jesus. Why do we not live this crucified life? And I have such a, a revelationary, that's not a word. <laughs> I have a great answer for you. It's because it's just hard. So you can write that down. We don't live the crucified life just because it's hard. Anyone, does that resonate with you? Living the crucified life is difficult. It's not easy to deny yourself for Jesus. It's not. It goes against our very nature all the time, every day, 24 hours a day. We are fighting and choosing against our own flesh that cries out and says, feed me, feed me sin, feed me this, feed me that. And we're saying, no, you, you stop talking to me in the name of Jesus. And we're saying that once we wake up, when your head hits the pillow and we wake up, you're saying flesh, stop in the name of Jesus. So think about pretend you're the devil or if it helps you, you may pretend your spouse is the devil or someone else. Get 
get your mind in the mind of Satan. How would you mess you up? So how would you, as, if you are Satan, how would you mess yourself up? What would you throw at you? What kinds of things would you use to distract yourself from walking with God? Think about that. It's helpful to kind of see from Satan's perspective because he's not creative. He does the same stuff. He's never made anything new. He's been doing the same thing since the Garden of Eden, trying to get us to trip. So what would he do to you? And very quickly, there's many false gods in America that Satan tries to lure us with. But I was going to give you three specifically And to help you remember, this is the ABCs of American culture, the ABCs of what Satan is trying to do to us. So the first one, we're talking about accumulation. That's a fancy word for love and money, accumulation. So it says in the Gospel of Matthew, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart shall be also. Praise the Lord. It just, just makes sense. Jesus says, don't store up stuff here. It's going to burn up. The world's going to end. Store it up in heaven where it will never end. And is it a surprise? Our culture worships money and wealth. We can see that. Have you seen this before? <laughs> we, our culture worships money and wealth. And it's difficult to live in the midst of this country and not have that rub off on us. Because we're swimming in that culture of loving money. We're swimming in it, and it just rubs off on us. And now, when I think about my own life, when I have money, I feel great. I feel good. When I have $1,000 in the bank account that's just there, I feel great, right? Do you feel this way? Maybe some of y'all just got some money from the government. Just imagine if they had accidentally sent you a million-dollar check yesterday. It's just in your account. You check your bank account, and they say, sir, you're a millionaire. You're like, what? (laughs) Wow. It's about time. How many problems would that million dollars clear up just instantly? Maybe you need like a roof repair. Maybe you need a vehicle repair. Maybe you got some loans to pay off. Would a million dollars solve some problems in, in y'all's life? Just raise your hand if it's true. If not, yeah. I mean, it, was, it would solve some problems. That's, that's true. It would solve a lot of problems for me. I'm like, hey, Hannah, we're going to Denny's tonight. We just got the million dollars. We're going to do someplace nice. I'm going to pay off some stuff. Maybe I'll get a new car. I don't know. I don't know, I don't know what I would do. I'd have so much fun thinking about what to do with that million dollars. But the trick is that would solve so many problems, but by the time that runs out, because money's just like water, it just flows, it's just gone. <laughs> it's just gone, especially when you have kids, just gone. But when that money stops, those problems that were fixed, just a Band-Aid. So those problems were kind of shallow problems. The real problems of my heart would still be there. The money would not do anything for those. So the real issues of life, they would not be solved. So Loving money is just like putting a Band-Aid on someone that's got gangrene on their, on their hand or their foot. It's like, you just got to chop that off. You can't do anything. If you put a Band-Aid on an infection or a staph infection, it's just going to keep growing. It's not good. Anyone has staph infection? I had that years ago from a locker room. It was gross. It just, <laughs> no, too many details. But you can't just put a Band-Aid on that. You got you to do something drastic. You got to chop that off. That's what Jesus calls us to do with this, this love of money. And God, he does ask for a lot. God asks for a lot from us, our time, our resources, our life. And he really does act like he's God. He does. He just has that authority, and he acts like it, and he asks for things. But does God need our money? I don't think so. He, he breathed the world out of his mouth. I don't think he needs money. But what does he need? He's really wanting our hearts. 
in America especially, God knows where to find a lot of our hearts. It's going to be in here. So he says, give this to me, submit that to me, and open it up and shake it out. I'm not going to do that now, but shake it out because your heart's in there, and that's what I want. That's what I'm after. I don't care about your money, but I care about you, so I'm going to ask for your wallet so I can get to your heart. God's smart like that, isn't he? He's, he's real smart like that. And this is a conversation I had with my pastor a year ago, November 2019. That seems like a long time ago. November 2019. Do you remember that year? Seems so long ago. So our ministry, we're working with student ministry there, and we're in the midst of a corporate, kind of like what you guys are doing, we're in the midst of a corporate fundraising for missions. And my wife and I, we've been ministers the last 10 years, praise the Lord. And so we, we tithe, we learned to tithe, he taught us that, and we've been giving to missions faithfully above our tithe. And this is another corporate move of God that everyone was doing, we were challenging each other, and it's just something we didn't want to miss out on. But also during this time, we had a negative $200 a month deficit just in our family life. So that's not great, right? You can't, each month we're losing $200. So that's not great. So knowing that that's going on and we're knowing this, we're being challenged. I asked my pastor some advice. I was like, hey, pastor, this is the situation. Like we, we definitely are losing money every month because of this, this, and this. So this missions thing, you know, what should I do about that? And in my mind, I'm thinking he's going to say, oh, you're already giving the missions. Don't worry about it. So I was kind of looking for some confirmation. You ever done that? Asked a pastor, kind of leading him on, like, give me the answer I want to hear. <laughs> so I asked him this. I said, okay, so what should I do? He's like, hey, just give it in faith and God will bless you. And I said, hey, okay, let me tell you again. So we're losing $200 a month. This is the situation. So I know it's mission. We already give the mission, so we should, should we increase or not? He's like, hey, give it in faith and God will bless you. I said, hey, okay, you're not understanding. But he did understand. He was being a pastor. And wow, what an answer I did not want to hear, right? So finally, against all common sense, we, we commit an extra $100 to give to missions for the whole year, the next 12 months. And we just say, okay, God, you take it. My pastor said yes three times, and I trust him. So we, I did it based on that trust. I did not think this was a good idea. And we had $5,000 in debt. It's just kind of a lot of details. But we started walking that out and just sending it away and saying, God, you just take care of it. We might be the biggest fools ever. And I might miss some payments on some stuff. So we start sending that away. And then, you know, throughout the different couple times, we have people just give us $800. That's, that's a lot of money, right? People, I mean, they knew us, but they didn't know what was going on. But they said, hey, just felt led to give you some, some pocket change. <laughs> but it wasn't pocket change. It's $800. So this happens multiple times. I think it happened three times. There's some other just random gifts that come to us. And we're ministers, so this happens. God does this a lot, but not to this extent. It was the most. And we had a car. Right, we're about to drive to a missionary thing. Our car breaks down the minute we're driving on the way out of the state. So we have a car repair that paid for that. So all this stuff is lining up together. So I'm here to tell you, after 12 months of kind of taking that step, do we regret signing up for that faith promise? I say no. Because God switched it around. He made something out of nothing. That's what he does. He made something out of nothing. I'm here to give the Lord praise that he took care of us. Can you praise the Lord for that? That he provides for us. He takes care of us. Even when it doesn't make sense. And we're in a better financial situation now than we were when we started. So we gave more and somehow came out ahead. Doesn't make sense. But that's what God does. And that's what God makes happen. So we do not regret it. And it showed us, what do we really value? Is our treasure really on earth or is it really in heaven? And Jesus is teaching us, keep putting it in heaven. 
Stop buying your little trinkets and putting money in these things. Put it in heaven. And he's teaching us that, and I praise the Lord for that. So the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And if you think you're unaffected by the love of money in America, ask pastor to check over your bank account and see, <laughs> see, he can help you. And just ask a friend, hey, what do you see in my life? Am I, do you think I love money? Just ask a good friend that or a pastor that, and they'll be honest with you. The second one is business. And don't worry, these are much shorter. Busyness. Corey Ten Boom, if you remember, she's a Holocaust survivor, Corey Ten Boom. If you have some of her books, get some more. She's a fantastic woman of God. She said this, if the devil can't make you bad, he's going to make you busy. So if he can't get you to be bad, he's going to get you really busy, maybe in the church. <laughs> he's going to get you really busy, maybe too busy. And we can actually be too busy to obey the call God's placed on our life. We can be. We can be too busy as a seed to fall into the ground and die. Where Jesus says, hey, submit yourself to me. We're like, no, I'm too busy. I got to be a seed. I got to keep doing what I'm doing. He says, no, just die. I've made you to die. <laughs> die and submit to me so I can do what I want. And a pastor friend asked one of their church members last year, or before lockdown, a couple, two years ago. He said, hey, would you really, there's a, there's a need in the church. You're perfect for it. I think God wants you to serve in this, in this need. And it was something simple. It took maybe an hour a week. He said, hey, can you serve in this way maybe once a month or twice a month? And the man said, well, no, you see, on Monday I have this. Monday night we have softball practice. I'm driving all over town. Tuesday I got lunch at this place. Tuesday night we have this going on, basketball. Wednesday track practice. Thursday marching band. Friday ballet class. Saturday out of town with the folks every weekend. So I was like, see, I can't, I can't do it. And then the pastor said, hey, let me ask you, who told you to do all that stuff every week? He's like, well, we'll just do it. He's like, have you ever asked God about your schedule? He said, no. But if God is Lord, shouldn't he be Lord of everything? Not just some things. If God is Lord, he's got to be Lord about the day in, the day out. Even at work, our bosses kind of control some of what we do, depending on where you work at. When I, my first job was at McDonald's. I still love McDonald's. Got to eat as much as I wanted. But my boss had a lot of control. He said, do this and don't do that. I said, okay, because I work for you. So if God is Lord, he has some control over us. And, it's, and it should be that way because he actually knows what he's doing. So the busyness can be our downfall. And there's so many things that demand our time. It takes some real Holy Spirit discernment to say yes and no to different opportunities. And just because you're doing something for the kingdom doesn't mean that's what God wants you to do. We need some discernment there and some pastoral help in making these decisions. And Jesus is our example. Talk about having demands on your life. Jesus had a demanding life. He had 33 years to accomplish his mission, only three of those in public ministry. Now, he's the savior of the world. He only had three years. I feel like he should have more time. And even in those three years, he was interrupted all the time. He was walking to go do something, and someone, like, yanked on his clothes and said, minister to me, minister to me. And he's walking everywhere. People are shouting his name. Blind beggars are saying, Jesus, come over here. Come over here. Come over here. This happens all the time in Scripture that Jesus is just walking, or he's trying to have a, a retreat with his leaders, his disciples, and he gets bombarded by a crowd of 8,000 hungry people. This happens to Jesus all the time. The interruptions of Jesus are fascinating to me. And I love it because it kind of sums up Psalms 23. You know Psalms 23? says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want more. He makes me toil in green pastures. He leads me beside busy waters. He works my soul to the bone. That's not right, right? That's not what Psalm 23 is about. That's yeah, not, that's not, that's one of those new translations. 
So scripture often says of Christ, he departed to a solitary place to pray. It says that about him a lot. He departed. He woke up early in the morning. He went away to pray. It says that so many, next time you read through the gospels, look at all the times Jesus went to a solitary place. He left the busyness behind him. And I love that. And David and the real Psalm 23 paints such a beautiful picture of fellowship and peace with God. That peace of knowing that you are walking in the calling that God has on your life. And you're not scrambling to do more just for reputation's sake or even trying to help God. You ever trying to help God? Say, God, you're kind of in a bind here. Let me help you out and do something for you. But when we're walking with exactly what God is calling us to do and being content in that, there's that Psalm 23 peace and fellowship that comes. And thinking about Jesus' interruptions, a lot of his miracles, if not all of them, came from an interruption on his life where someone was yanking on him or someone said, hey, my daughter's sick or, hey, this person's dead. Can you do something? And he says, can I? And he talks to this man. So a lot of those were interruptions, and I love that, that even the Messiah of the world, he sent to save everyone. Only three years, he entertains interruptions. And when I get a knock on the door from someone I'm not expecting, I'm like, don't answer it. Don't have time. <laughs> or I get a phone call. How many phone calls go unanswered? It's like, don't have time for this phone call. But I think God's trying to do something in the interruptions of life. So we've got accumulation business. The last one's comfort. Coming to an end here. Matthew 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So talking about tithing, again, think of the first time you, you start tithing to church. Think about that. For, if you can remember that day where you wrote that first tithe check and you just kind of put it in there, and you're like, wow, this is, who, who designed this process? <laughs> 10% off the top, the beginning of the month, who designed this? And if you remember that process, I remember for me it was a very uncomfortable process. And I did this when I was a student. I didn't have much money, but even more so, that 10% was a lot for me, and it's uncomfortable. Or you think back to a time where you had to ask someone for forgiveness that first time, or where you had to forgive somebody one time. That's difficult. It's uncomfortable. It gets really hard to do this. And in our culture, comfort is kind of painted as the king, and we could worship comfort just unintentionally. If we're not focused, laser beam on Jesus, we could worship comfort every day and make our decisions based on comfort. And the devil wants to make us comfortable. He really does. He wants us to think of the world as a playground and say, just stay, just relax. You don't really have anything to do. Just enjoy life on earth. But Jesus, he has not called us to this. If you think about the Holy Spirit, what's another word for the Holy Spirit, another name? Scripture calls him a lot of things. But he's called the comforter. He is called the, aren't you grateful for the comforter in your life? I'm grateful for the work of the Holy Spirit. But he's called the comforter because he's supposed to comfort us while we live the crucified life. God didn't send the Holy Spirit to make us more comfortable while we're having a comfortable life. That doesn't make sense. But saying while you walk out this difficult crucified life, while you are persecuted for my sake, here's the Holy Spirit because you cannot do it without him. It's too hard. You need the Holy Spirit to do what I'm calling you to do. And if they persecuted me and killed me, and I'm Jesus, and I'm perfect, he says they're definitely going to kill and persecute you. That's just a promise of God. We don't really see that in people's homes on the Hobby Lobby signs. 
But Jesus says, you will have trouble. That's a promise if we live this crucified life. I love that the Holy Spirit is always dwelling within us. He's always calling us out. So I think it was probably 15 years ago when the Lord really got a hold of my wallet in my heart. He said, hey, start tithing. And I made that step. And for me, that was a big step. That was probably like way down here. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm tithing now. Let's do it every month. I just had to do it so fast before my brain realized what my hand was doing, just throw it in the, in the bucket. So he called me from here to there, and I'm being stretched. This is uncomfortable down here. I don't like being here. But then you spend a couple months, maybe a year, you're tithing. You make a habit and feeling pretty comfortable now. I'm kind of sitting up, all right, this is my new life. I got money over there, but I'm still doing what I want over here. And then God says, how about giving to missions? I was like, well, there's money in the tithe that's for missions. <laughs> He's like, no, how about giving above and beyond? I said, okay, I'll take another step and give some monthly to missionaries. Let's do that. But I get comfortable here. And then he starts getting some real stuff. He says, hey, how about you start talking to your coworkers about Jesus? I was like, oh, Lord, my coworkers are crazy. They're getting drunk all the time. I don't think they want to hear about Jesus. But he says, hey, why don't you talk to them? So, okay, I'll take that step, have some strange conversations, but saw God do some awesome things. You just, you, when you're just trying, you're so new, you don't know what you're doing. I'm like, hey, what do you think about Jesus? And they're like, what? But sometimes that works. So doing that, and they says, hey, why don't you start praying for your people? Why don't you start praying for the nations every day? Why don't you start praying for your family to know Jesus? Why don't you have a conversation with your family about Jesus? All these things, because Jesus knows, the Holy Spirit knows that glory and obedience and every fruit, a fruitful life is way over there, probably to New York City that, in the distance of this metaphor. It's probably way over there, but I want to stay all the way up here. And I say, God, I'm serving you. I'm doing great. But he's saying you're not dead enough yet. You need to die some more. You need to be stretched. You need to be obedient because you're going to bear so much fruit if you just keep following my voice. I promise you. And he's just continually drawing us out and out farther away from our comfort and farther away from our comfort zone. And it's hard to live out there. It's so hard. But the Holy Spirit helps us, and he's our comforter. That's why he's here. That's why he lives within us. And just one last story that really taught me this and brought it home for me is I had a friend from Nepal. If you know the nation of Nepal, it's one of the most spiritually dark places in the world. Barely any Christians there that we know of. A few missionaries there. Terrible place. A lot of spiritual strongholds there. But I had a friend named Subash that was from Nepal. He ended up in our small town for school. And in our town, you can just tell who's not from there. It's like, hey, you're not from here. Let me meet you. I want to minister, try and make a relationship. So he's from Nepal, and we spent five years together in the same town. He was there doing something really smart with, with the college, and we, we got to talking. And we had told him the gospel that whole time, five years. He was in our ministry, but still not a Christian. Oh, yeah, there he is. He's uh, holding our baby on the right there. And that's another guy from Sri Lanka. But Subhash is on the right, and that's our son Peter. And we spent a lot of life together, day in, day out, just being brothers with one another. But him hating Jesus, me loving Jesus, me trying to convince him to love Jesus this whole time. So one day after, you know, I'm praying for his salvation. I'm working for his salvation. I'm like, Lord, would you save him? Would you reveal yourself to him? Would you show up in his life in a powerful way? I'm praying this for four or five years. And then one day he, he messages me and he says, hey, my sister needs a ride down to Houston for work. Can you give her a ride? And we live about an hour and a half north of Houston. And I don't answer it because it's my day off. I was taking my Sabbath. I'm a minister. I was like, no, I'm not going to answer that. This is my day off. He has other friends. I knew he did, so I don't answer it. A couple of hours go by. He calls me, and I'm like, hey, he hasn't found anyone yet, but I don't answer it because I don't want to talk to him. 
And then a couple hours later, he calls me again. He's like, hey, I really need someone. Can you give her a ride? And then he messaged me again and says, hey, are you, are you free? She needs a ride like in an hour. And I'm just enjoying my day off. And then it gets to the point where you just know that I'm going to end up doing it, but I'm not going to be happy about it. And I feel like God's telling me to do it, but I really don't want to. Have you ever been there? That happens to me a lot. So I finally get over there because I know it's going to be rush hour. It's going to be a three-hour round trip at least in rush hour Houston. It's awful, at least three hours. And I don't really know his sister at all, and I don't want to get to know her really. But I say, okay, I'll do it. No one else could help you. Let's, let's go. I'll finally do it. So I very reluctantly drive to his house, pick up his sister, and we start driving down to Houston. And like I said, I don't know her at all. She doesn't know Jesus either. So I start to think, well, maybe I should tell her about Jesus because I'm a minister and she's from Nepal. And it was probably the lousiest effort ever given by any person on the planet. I was just not, I was just wrapped up in my own complaining. Have you ever been there? I was just whining and complaining, saying, Lord, I don't want to drive to Houston on my day off. But I drive all the way down there, hit so much traffic like I knew would happen. Then I drop her off. She didn't really want to talk about anything. She was on her phone the whole time. I was trying to get somewhere. It didn't work. So I drop her off, and I start driving back. And on the way out of her, she worked in a mall. On the way out, I had a tiny little car, and I go over this big, terrible pothole that Houston's full of. And it scrapes my car really bad. And then I'm driving on the highway, and I just hear sparks and crazy stuff in my, just happening. And I pull over, and I look, and my bumper is just off. It's just dangling. I had a zip tie. It was hold on by a zip tie. And I was trying to yank that off on the side of the road, my bumper. And I was like, God, look at this. I obeyed you. My bumper fell off. My car looks like a piece of garbage. And now it looks even more like garbage because my bumper fell off. And I'm doing this for you. I didn't talk to her about Jesus. She didn't want to hear about it. I'm just complaining to the guy. I was just being real honest with him. I was just whining and complaining. And I get back in my car, leave the bumper there. I just start driving back another hour and a half drive. And then the Lord speaks to me. Praise the Lord. Aren't you glad God speaks to us in a real way? I'm so grateful he speaks to us and that the Holy Spirit knows what we need to hear. So I'm driving back from just being a whiner. And God says, listen, Matt, you've been praying for Subash's salvation for five years and you want to see it happen. But when I ask you to do something simple like serving him and driving his sister to Houston, it took me so much effort to convince you to do it. So if you can't even do this small thing, how are you going to do the big things I have planned for your life? And he just dropped that on me. And the rest of the drive was full of repentance and worship. And I praise the Lord. He changed, like Pastor said, he changed my perspective. He changed my attitude. But something so simple if I really can't do a three-hour driving back for the glory of God, how can I do something bigger than that if we can't even do that? If, if you and I, if we can't do those small little steps like going across the street or talking to someone at the grocery store and inviting them into the family of God, then how can we do the bigger things God has planned for us? And we can't. And I feel like I could do something grand for Jesus, like be a martyr in North Africa for Jesus. But if I can't even drive to Houston and back in rush hour for the glory of God, that's not going to happen either. God is training us. The Holy Spirit is training us to walk and to walk and to walk into the life, into that crucified life. And we can't do the big things before we do all those tiny little small things that no one is going to see. So I'm about accumulation, business, and comfort. Those will keep us just a seed and we'll remain alone and we won't bear any fruit. But we serve the Lord and scripture says he does things beyond what we can even ask and beyond what we can even imagine. 
and our imaginations are not bigger than God's, he can do more than what we can imagine. And what does God have planned for you? And what plans will be ruined by your disobedience to the Lord? What plans, what plans does he have for your life? We can't even think or imagine what they could be, but they could be ruined if we don't obey what God is trying to tell us and where he's trying to lead us. So my question to you this morning at the end here, what is God asking you to deny? Is there something that he's asking you to surrender? Maybe it's your wallet. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's a dream or ambition that you have personally that you haven't laid down for the Lord. What is he asking you to deny? There's always going to be something because when we step out in a new place, there's always another step God wants us to take. What is that next very practical? Maybe it's a very small step. Maybe it's a big step that God wants us to take. Because God is trustworthy. Amen. He's so trustworthy. I want to do everything he says. Lord, help us listen to his voice. So maybe it's just as, a, as we close in prayer, if you would bow your heads and get before the Lord. Maybe God is asking you to give up some dreams, a dream job, or maybe a dream of having a family or living close to family. Maybe a dream of being rich and comfortable or having a good retirement. And I challenge you this morning, don't settle for your small dreams. Let's just take a short time in worship to ask God and seek direction for his life. Because God will make it count for eternity. And I remember after four months of dating Hannah, I had realized the Lord spoke to me and said, Hey, you haven't asked me about her yet. I knew I wanted to marry her after three or four months. And the Holy Spirit said, You haven't asked me about her yet. I was like, God, she loves you. This should be an easy thing. But he just asked to have the place of God in my life. And I said, Lord, if you want me to break up with her, I will. That will be a terrible idea, I think, but I will. So I said, Lord, I give you full control of this relationship. Tell me what to do. And when I laid it down, he let me pick it back up. And I praise the Lord because I love her and she's awesome. <laughs> so I praise the Lord for that. But sometimes God just wants us to lay it down on the altar so that he can do what he wants with our lives. Because we're just a seed. We're just an instrument. We're not God, even though we try to be. So I ask you this morning, take a few moments and worship. Ask the Lord, what does that next step for me look like to get out of our comfort zone? What does it look like for my family? Am I loving money? Am I loving busyness? Am I loving comfort? What do you want to do with my life? And after spending a few moments in worship and in prayer, just as a sign that you want God to use you and you want God to bear fruit in your life, I'd say just in your hands, break open that seed. Crack it open just as a sign and as a remembrance and say, Lord, break me open. Whatever it takes, I want to be obedient to you. I want to bear fruit like you want me to. So just break open that seed whenever you feel ready, whenever you've talked to God. And make that a sign this morning for the Lord. Between you and him, God is our witness. So, Lord, I pray for this congregation. I thank you for the pastors you've brought here and planted here. And I thank you for this missional church. And I just ask that you would speak to them right now in this moment. I pray that you would give them divine direction and show them what that next step is that they must take to bear much fruit, Lord. I pray this church would continue to be fruitful. It's impacting all over the world. And I pray you continue that and bless that work. But would you bear fruit even more so, a hundred, a thousand fold from this congregation, Lord. And would you help us above all to be obedient to you. What a challenge. Thank you. Brother Matthew.
What are you going to do with your seed? What soil are you going to plant it in? Because a seed is but a seed, the potential of the seed is not fully arose until it's fully given to the soil. The soil in which you plant. The soil in which you yield it to. You can have all the potential in the world and bring no harvest because you don't plant your seed. Take up thy cross and follow me. That's the seed. To be all in. To put your hands to the plow and do the work of the Lord. That's what missions is about. Missions is about a daily life. This is just one aspect as we support those who are called to different places around the world. Some to our own country that so desperately needs missionaries in our own country. Now other countries are sending missionaries here. Go figure, right? Go full circle. But what are you going to do with your seed? It's not enough just say to like a seed. I happen to love pumpkin seeds. But I see all the potential of what it can become. But it's not until it dies. It's not until it's planted in the soil. And no matter what age you are, you got to remember something that you're dead in, to the world and alive in Christ. You have to understand this process. It's not about us. It's really about giving of yourself and to have a joy about it. Smile. As you serve the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. And even when we go through those dark nights, and even though when the winds do blow, and even though the winds and the water is coming into your boat, you're God. You're His. You're His seed. So I pray as you continue to pray what you can do for missions. I pray as you continue to learn to give unto the Lord, not just in finances, that's just a part but to give of yourself in, in ministry and serving and helping. Do something so that when your life is over, your residue of what you did, how you planted and served and died to the Lord, is still producing a harvest. There's a little saying is, is not what you said while you were living, but it's what you did that carries and it carries in the hearts of people. Let's take a moment. Let's just pray. And on the way out, I pray that, yes, you give your tithe. But most importantly, after you resolve that, what will you do for missions? What will you do for the cause of Christ? How will the message of the gospel go out in your seed as you die to yourself? Plant yourself in good soil, and God will always bring you in a good harvest. I can't tell you how true that is more than I've experienced it over and over and over again as you just give it all. God has a habit of just helping you out and just continually give you more opportunities that you can help others. Father, we are so grateful for who you are and all that you do. We're so grateful for those that are watching as they really stop to think about their seed, their life, planted it upon the good soil, so that, Lord, we die to ourselves, take up the cross, and follow you, denying ourselves. And so, Father, as we continue to do that, will you continue to help us as we walk in faith, not in sight. 
We don't look at what you haven't done, but we're going to look at who you are. And we're going to walk and serve with a joy because the, the joy of the Lord is our very strength. Now, Lord, will you just speak by your Holy Spirit to each one here. For those who are here and those watching online, that they would make you Savior of their life. They would ask you to forgive them of their sins. If they have sins, they need to forgive it and have a relationship with you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we thank you for joining us today. Let's continue to believe that God is going to do a work in all of our lives and in His church, despite our current circumstances. If you would like to support the ministry of Salem First Assembly, you can do so by mailing to 430 Route 45, Salem, New Jersey, 08079, or by visiting our website at salemfirstag.org. Please join us for service next Sunday at 1030 a.m., or you can watch service every Sunday afternoon on Facebook at Salem First Assembly or YouTube at Salem First AG. You can also listen to the message every Tuesday on Podbean. Have a blessed rest of your day. Let's remember to be a blessing and that life is living in faith every day.